Hey team, this is episode seven of the Coaches Roundtable. I just had to look at Alex to check that I actually got that right. Um, yeah, so same format as last week. Take your questions. It's going to be a, hopefully a little bit of a short one this week, but we'll wait and see how it goes. Uh, yeah, take it away. All right. Um, just going through the list. Got one from Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, managing non-training stress during training and how to handle, handle a session that has to be cut short. Sorry, repeat that again. Hmm. So managing non-training stress during training and how to handle a session that has to be cut short. Okay. So I guess we could probably break that down into two parts. If we go for managing stress and then we can go into like session by session basis in terms of if, if it doesn't go well, um, yeah, cool. Uh, seeing as I usually lead all of them, I'm happy for you to take the lead <laughs> on this. Uh, right. And then we'll just see how it goes. I think by like, so non-training stress, so I'm going to assume that that's kind of like sort of outside worries, stuff like, you know, I don't know, your job, your studies, your family, your friends, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then also like any of the kind of fatigue that sort of comes along with that, like, you know, say you're not operating on um, enough hours sleep or maybe you didn't eat as well, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of different ways for managing it. Um, I think firstly, like sort of like training on a schedule is, was one of the things that like kind of helped me quite a bit in that, like, you know, you know, if you're training between say, you know, 12 and two, that you have to get your work done before 12 and, you know, you have time to do it afterwards um, so that you're not, you know, basically putting stuff off, you know, until the last minute yeah. or, you know, saying, oh, I'll do it later, do it later, do it later. And then that eats into training, that kind of thing. Um, I think as well, trying to sort of be present in training. I think leading up to things it can sometimes get a bit like oh god I've got you know you're worrying about certain things and you know you're not looking forward to the gym but actually like nine times out of the out of ten when you're actually there like you're not worrying about anything else you're just focusing on like the exercises that you're doing mm-hmm. um you know what's coming up in the program that kind of thing um so I think bearing that in mind in the even though you might not want to do it right now once you're there like in the actual gym itself and doing the work um, you know, it'll feel a lot better. It'll feel a lot better afterwards. Um, I don't know. I think as well, there's a couple of different like sort of mental approaches that you can take to it. Um, you know, <laughs> I was almost, uh, I'm just trying to think of like, you know, different kind of ways of sorting it. Um, just trying to kind of separate your gym time and your training time from everything else so you know put your phone away put your laptop away you know don't be responding to messages or oh you know that's i'll just get back to my supervisor in between my sets you know just forget about that leave that to afterwards um so kind of try and separate the two um as best you can and then you'll feel you know you'll find that like they don't bleed into each other as much and you know you'll hopefully be less stressed during training yeah i think um you've 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 kind of gone at it from a from a different route that i was expecting you to take where you kind of are going to the point where you're looking at training um 
in terms of <clears throat> how can you better handle the stress during your training? Mm, yeah. I was going to think of it at the point where imagine, and you, you hear this a lot when you say like stress is stress. So if you imagine stress is like a bucket and you only have one bucket, you can't like spread, spread it over different ones. You, it all goes into one. There comes a point where regardless of where it comes from, it will, it will fill up and it will over overfill. So it will start to spill out. Even if that's um, marital stress, you know, money, training, relationship, friendship, whatever it might be, it all kind of pulls together into the same bucket. And you actually kind of put it in a good perspective where you've got to almost learn that, you know, if you have a very stressful job, it is going to impact your ability to train or, or at least your ability to stress yourself within training because you're already filling that bucket enough. And I think it's being able to, like you said, re realize that actually, you know, I might not be able to do as much because of the fact that, you know, my job is stressful or because I have a lot of other things going on with family, whatever it might be. Um, so it very much as like a case by case basis, it's not, it's not like there's, I, I wouldn't say that there is like a specific blueprint that you should follow, but I think you have to realize that, like I said, it all compounds. You can't expect to have a really, really stressful training regime and then, you know, operate to a hundred percent within your job or within whatever it might be. There's going to have to be some give and take. Um, so in terms of like management strategies, I think you said it well, you know, even if it's days where you don't feel like training or you're too tired when you get into the session, sometimes, you know, that's a good indication for you to go, okay, I'll, I'll take this day as a rest mm. um, and then I'll come back tomorrow. But on other days, you might just say to yourself, well, let's just see what I can do. And then, you know, if it's not as optimal as I would have liked it to be based on the program that you're looking at in front of you, then you've just, you've almost kind of got to take it with a pinch of salt and go, well, it's a case, it's day by day. I think, you know, yeah, just to sort of like give an example, <clears throat> you know, if you've got a heavy day coming up and, you know, you're due to be hitting like, say, heavy singles or heavy doubles and, um, and you know, like, you know, because in order to do your best within that kind of situation, you've got to be in the right frame of mind. Yeah. You know, you've you got to be like kind of aggressive with it and confident. And if you're not and you can't get yourself into that state, then there's almost like not a huge amount <laughs> It's, you know, either you're going to end up hurting yourself or mm -hmm. you're not going to hit the targets that you wanted to hit. And, you know, that's not going to help the situation either. So it's kind of like, it's sort of knowing when and where to cut your losses and to turn, you know, what should be a heavy, hard training session into like a technical session. Then kind of on the flip side as well, you know, if you've done that last week and this week you're going into like a lighter session, you're good, you're feeling really confident, then, you know, like maybe push that a little bit so it's kind of like yeah just, just trying to strike a balance with things and if you're 
kind of stresses within your life are affecting are affecting things then sort of working around them yeah. um yeah that's all i want to say on that one yeah and i think i guess to sort of refine the answer or at least to, to add my final point to that is um i th- from what i gathered you were alluding to sort of trying to even if you are even if you know that you might become stressed um or for whatever reason um for whatever reason you're not going to do that session or you know something has taken up a lot of stress that you didn't initially think you would sometimes have to realize that there are a lot of events that you can't control (laughs) and as hard as it it may be, it's accepting that, you know, you can't always control those things. Um, I am not usually one for, I I wouldn't say that I'm an expert at stress management because there's a lot of times where work can get overwhelming. Um, But I'm, (laughs) I'm quite good at saying to myself, well, maybe I could just, you know, take the day off and i'll come back tomorrow Mm. um and it's it works in some regards but in other ways it's also sometimes you need to be assertive to yourself and to say like well actually no i'm gonna do this because you know i I need to um whatever what helps me with that kind of situation is like (sighs) You know, because again, you've got to try and separate like the kind of emotional from the logical. So, you know, just for a second, just fuck what you think or what you feel and just consider like, if I do this session, even if I just do a little bit, is it going to help me more than not doing it? Sometimes it will be the case that like, you know, even if you just do some powers and, you know, a couple of pulls or something and, you know, don't do like the kind of bulk, that will be more beneficial than taking a day off. Sometimes yeah. the inverse is true when actually you really Absolutely. do that day written off and, you know, put your feet up, put the kettle on, that kind of thing. Yeah. But more often than not, it tends to be the first case. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say just, again, just try and consider it within the context of like, what is going to benefit me the most, you know, not just right here, right now, but in terms of like, you know, within a wider context, within a wider scope. So like, what are my goals? What am I working towards? And um, there you go. And also just if you can do a session um, when you really don't want to do it, like it kind of builds discipline. So kind of flip it on its head. It's like, I feel Mm. awful right now, but I kind of want to do this session because I know it's going to help me. So (laughs) it's it's looking at it in a positive light rather than, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd also say on that, just um, just to kind of, reiterate what i was saying at the start in terms of having that bucket is the only way that you're going to be able to reduce that is by getting rest and sleeping yes so you have to realize that if you're compounding yourself with all these different types of stress there's only one way that you're going to get rid of that which is recovering sleeping and like regenerating in whether it be sleep or whether it making time for friends or a hobby or some other interest that takes your mind off the stress that you've you've had to deal with because for some people training is a de-stressor but you have to realize as well like training does endure stress so even if it is a de-stressor like you know you're compounding a different type of stress without you potentially realizing the effect that that has so i'd say you know you need to make sure that 
if you are doing all these things, you set aside time for yourself to actually recover from them. Um, yeah. Second part of the question. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the second part, uh, go, remind me of the question again. Cause yeah. so first part was just managing non-training stress during training. And then the mm-hmm. second one um, was how to handle a session that has to be cut short. Um, I mean, I think it depends on why it was cut short. Mm-hmm. If you, if you've decided to cut it short because you can't be asked, then I think you need to sort of evaluate your, like the reason why you've done that. It's not necessarily always a bad thing, but it's definitely something that might potentially need to be evaluated post session. Um, and I think that's probably more worrying than, than for example, if something does happen that needs your urgent attention, meaning that you can't finish your session. Mm. But I guess there's a couple of caveats to that because just because you can't do your full session doesn't mean you couldn't go and do what you need to do. And then if you have time, come back and do the rest of the session. Yeah. Um, you know, if you feel like it, but also I, I used to a lot do like, Oh, I've missed these exercises. I'll just add them on the next day. But I've I realized that, you know, and I did that sort of when I first started. And I realized that actually doing that is just going to make make it a lot harder the next day, which means that the day after it's going to be harder to recover. It's just like, you know, like, oh, I really don't want to do this. So, you yeah. know, I'll just put it off till tomorrow. And, yeah. then, um, and then tomorrow you're like, I still really don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just kind of becomes a you know, perpetual cycle. Yeah. Um, also it kind of gets you into the habit of like, you know, you probably can do them all in one session. It's just for whatever reason you don't want to. And so, you know, moving certain exercises to later sessions, it's going to mess with your recovery for one. So it's going to kind of like derail how you approach the program. Um, can it potentially affect the stuff within the session as well? Mm-hmm. You know, like say for example, like I don't, I don't fancy doing back squats today, so I'm going to push them to tomorrow when I've got pulls. Well, if I do them straight after the pulls, they're going to suffer. It's if going to be suboptimal, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if I do them before the pulls, the pulls are going to suffer. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's. Uh, I I know I I did exactly what you used to do in that like sometimes because you think well you know even if I don't want to do it now if I do it tomorrow then it's still done it's better than yeah. not doing it. Yeah. ironically sometimes not doing it is better <laughs> yeah so it's turn the habit of like i can't push this back so i either do it now or i don't and then yeah. you do it now yeah um but also again doesn't mess with programming and you know tomorrow's session that kind of thing um yeah obviously there's like certain situations um like you know say at the morning um uh, say at the moment a lot of us are training outside and like weather is a big factor so you know if i can't do an afternoon session because it's chucking it down with rain it's like well i that's you know something beyond my control i'd rather yeah. take the most important parts of that session and move it to tomorrow absolutely um, if i don't want to do an afternoon session because i just don't feel like doing an afternoon session then that's on me yeah yeah precisely but also you have to what i was sort of alluding to is you have to un, you have to sort of figure out what what the reason for that is if it's something that you can't control whether it's the weather well you can't exactly just go please like you can't exactly sing the song like rain rain go away come back another day it doesn't work like that rain train in the rain (laughs) but you know 
there's there are certain aspects that you're able to control let's you know i'm not saying for example something that's you know happened out of the blue that needs your urgent attention because you know that's not something that you can control and it might need your direct attention i'm saying like if you lack motivation if you can't be bothered if you know, someone has asked you to do this, but you, you make the excuse, oh yeah, don't worry, I'll do that now and stop your session. Like It probably doesn't need that much attention until you've finished. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, you need to sort of f- figure out why, why that isn't taking your undivided attention. You know, why, why is it, if it's in your control, why is it that you're missing that? Why is it that you have to cut your session short? Is it because of your time management or because you can't be bothered to do the rest of that session or you lack energy or motivation? Because they all, they're all factors that you should be able to sort of answer. And if you can't, then, well, that's on you. (laughs) Well, that's quite... Ask your coach. Yeah, yeah. That's why you've got a coach. <laughs> your coach tells you you're just being lazy. <laughs> yeah, stop sandbagging. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question though. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I'd say, and I just wanted to add, um, you know, because sometimes you know that look, I've got a big session here that might take two hours, but I've only got an hour because of whatever situation. Um, in ter- Okay, so what do you do within that hour? Um, so again, just like kind of prioritizing those exercises, um, you know, which are the most important within that program for the day. Which is usually um, the full lifts or the squats or the pull. Basically, yes. So yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. <laughs> just go from that. And then if yeah. you have time for like stretching accessories, put those on afterwards. Yeah, again, exactly. Yeah. Move from yeah. big things to small things. Absolutely. Like it's like if you've got an hour, you're not going to spend an hour doing your accessories, are you? Let's be honest. Like if you have the time, the most important thing will be the most important thing for you to make you better. Yeah. Lifts, the pulls, the squats, or some kind of technical drill that your coach has given you. Um, and there will be a reason that they've given you that. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Unless you're catching up with your friends afterwards and you want to get a serious pump on. Yeah. yeah. do do some arms (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah cool that question let's go to the next one um the one from prince prince would like to know our favorite lifters and why favorite lifters i don't know if i've got just one i i feel like i have a couple one more so for sort of their technical prowess but also one just because it very much mimics my style of lifting <laughs> this is not plesnoy i'm going to be disappointed it is plesnoy yeah. oh, <laughs> um but then again like you have to you have to you know the two goats like lou and lasher i think it would be easy to say that they would be favorites of of the vast majority of weightlifters but I'd say Plesnoy mainly just because he very much mimics a lot of my lifting. Uh, sorry, I say he mimics. <laughs> yeah. I mimic him. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's, it's definitely not the other way around. <laughs> um, He's trying uh, to get into the DMs. <laughs> but I'd also say, and I don't know whether this is on a personal level because I know him or because I just really like the way that he moves, but Eric Machalski. And I know that obviously I know him really well, but like 
it, he very much is undoubtedly a very, very good mover of, of weight. Mm. And a testament to that, he's used in almost every Catalyst Athletics voiceover <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so I'd say Pliesnoy and uh, Machowski. There you go. Um, oh, God, I don't know. Again, it's so, it's easy enough to kind of like go, you know, you mentioned like, you know, Lasher and Lou, and it's like, they're great within their own regard. But I think favorite lifter, it's going to be, it's going to be an individual thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. When I, when I was kind of like starting with weightlifting, I'm, you know, Matty Rogers was kind of really, you know, kind of at the forefront of women's weightlifting. And um, that was just awesome to see, you know, again, cause she, she was like, she's my height <laughs> and just like, absolutely killing it. So it was yeah. like weird to see somebody with like, you know, sort of similar frame, not that I was, you know, ever that strong when I started, but you know, sort of similar frame and, um, you know, lifting what she was lifting. It was like, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so that was, that was always fun to watch. And, you know, and then Kate and I comes along and, you know, Kate and I is brilliant as well. Yeah. Um, I think from a technical perspective, I really like, uh, Toshiki. Yeah, um, Toshiki Yamamoto. Absolutely, like the man just knows how to move. <laughs> like yeah. everything is. And just... also, he's in, he's ridiculously strong. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, stupid strong. Moves really, really well. Um, just can't, I just can't fault it. It's just mm. like it's just textbook. So um, I really, really like that. And then who else? I like. Laura Donatoma. I was just about to say that. If I were to choose a female, it would be Laura Donatoma. It's just, it's just the aggression is just amazing. Just every single lift, she just like attacks and it. Her jerks as well. Oh, yeah. The, They're the, so the, unique. Yeah. You know, her front foot is, I wouldn't say it's late, but her front foot is so exaggerated. But, you know, it, it, I feel like that's what lends her to, to being the successful weightlifter that she is, is that she has literally figured out her own way to lift. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of iconic, isn't it? I think, yeah. it's, you know, everybody has their own little style. She's just ha she just has a very, you know, easily recognisable style. Absolutely. Um, I've got so, Valentin as well, Lydia Valentin. Just yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah. <laughs> so basically, it's not just one. It's basically all of them. <laughs> like five or four. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just take bits from them that you like, you know, that you kind of appreciate and that you look for when, when watching them. But um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't say that I have like a favorite favorite, just several. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess I also want to add to that. I absolutely love Shizy Young. Like on, yeah. he is he's just <laughs> I don't know, he just he, crack, he cracks me up. Yeah, he's got so much passion, but it's just you can just tell that he, he loves it. Yeah, everyone's favourite screamy boy. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> how? Brilliant. We we need how comes nobody at Central London like screams yet? They're all like uh, dead silent. <laughs> yeah, I I just don't think they they haven't developed their own their own yeah. technique yet. They haven't developed their own. It's it's a war cry, really, isn't it? 
Yeah. Not that we're actually asking people to come up. I feel like when we come back to lifting, that everyone that's listened to this, they're going to come back to their first session and have their own personal war cry and say, coach, I've been working on this for the next, for the last three yeah. months. Well, you know, <laughs> it's fucking marks from me. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's different. Um, yeah. Right. Cool. Next so, one. Next one. Apparently yeah, you have yeah. a question. Oh, um, do I? Yeah. Oh, so, did I? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so apart from the lifts themselves, what exercise is the most important? I mean... Sorry. This is my question, so I want to see what you say. <laughs> I refuse to say anything on the topic. So without the snatch and the clean and jerk, squats. Squats, bro. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's going to be squats and pulls. I think the lifts themselves teach you technique. What else do you have to work on? And that's basically going to be like power. Leg strength and power. Yeah, it's just <laughs> strong legs, strong back, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um, would you? You only have one. You're not allowed squats and pulls. No, just one. But just this one. is this leads me on to my counter question. If you could only do one for the rest of your life, what would you do? Squats or pulls? I mean, you know the answer to that. <laughs> I, I hate I hate pulls. So it would be squats. But if I were to choose something that would make me infinitely better as myself as a weightlifter, because I know that pulls are my weakness, Mm. it would probably be pulls. But I still don't think that you get as much benefit from it. I might that might sound um I might be going kind of against the grain, but if I were to choose one, it would be, you know, squats for sure. Um, yeah, even if I were to do, cause technically if I were to do, let's say like a low bar hybrid, right. and I'd be getting a little bit more hamstring, a little bit more glute, a little bit more low back. It's basically a pull. Basically just go <laughs> powerlifting. What are you doing over here? <laughs> low bar squats. <laughs> not, not just low bar. I'm just saying if I could do the variation of a squat, I could do all the different types. Yeah. Yeah. There are quite a few different types of squats to choose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd say I'd say squats. That's interesting. I would, I'd probably stick with pulls, but only because they're a, a little bit closer to the movement than a squat is. Mm. I would think, you know, because I don't. I feel like there's more, like you know, front squats, front squat, but all of the stuff that happens before the front squat is arguably more kind of important than the actual front squat itself. Whether it's Although is a front squat a better driver of strength than just clean pulls? You tell me. I don't, we need to write a thesis, really. <laughs> Do some research. I mean, the thing is, is that it's so, it's so subjective. Like, uh, I don't, I don't really understand how you would be able to measure that because. There's weightlifters who back squat and front squat. There's weightlifters who only back squat. There's weightlifters who only front squat. And yet they still have a phenomenal amount of leg strength. But yeah. on the flip side, there's also lifters who don't usually ever do heavy pulls. They do light pulls where they're pulling the elbows up. Um, or there's lifters that do, you know, like Lasher, who never actually pulls the bar. He just does his own little Lasher shrug. <laughs> you know um 
and I think like it would be so hard to quantify actually what what would be good like let's say for example this was the study if we got a hundred weightlifters just to do lasher pulls do you really think that those a hundred weightlifters to just do lasher pulls would get better only lasher pulls Nothing o- only lasher pulls yeah or whatever you want to call them are we talking like just gen- like at the two lifts? Would they get better at the two? Yeah, lifts? yeah, just I, just lasher pulls. I feel like they would. Like, Do you? I think so. Mm. Okay. Then, then on know. the flip side, if you were to say those 100 weightlifters were only allowed to do front squats, do you think they would get better? They would. Yeah. They, they would get better. <laughs> so it's like it's working within a parameter that you can control. Mm. It's, why, it's why it's really hard if someone says to you, if you could only do one exercise, well, that's the reason there's hundreds of different exercises because they all do different things. Uh, it's true. Well, hey, you asked the question. So I know, no, but I look at me. To, I just wanted to enter a topic of discussion because it's not, yeah. you know, it's one of those questions where it it can be very easily answered in terms of just saying it would be squats because they're fun and you get a lot of leg strength, you get a lot of power you know, mm. especially for people who don't like pools, but also you can get a lot from pools as well. Yeah. You know, so I was just interested to see where the discussion went. That's all. This is just one big test, isn't it? This entire series has just been like, you put me in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course it hasn't. <laughs> um, I, just, I just wanted to kind of mention as well, because I, I know it's a kind of meme that like, you know, your coaches always get disappointed when you don't do your accessories or you're skipping your accessories and that kind of thing. But I think like the value of accessories is like generally really, it's just undervalued both by lifters and coaches, if you ask me. Um, I think just in terms of like, right, this seems to be, this is what I've kind of experienced and seen. Um, let's see if you kind of have seen the same thing. But like, I find a lot of people prescribe accessories solely as like, you know, oh, we're doing split squats because we need to make sure it's balanced or we're yeah. doing, you know, I don't know, tricep extensions because your triceps are weak, you know, that kind of thing. But it's only done in order to bring things up to a certain point and not beyond that. Yeah. So it's like people aren't using accessories in order to actually develop strength. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, which I think is like just a massive I don't know. I think it's a shortcoming. I think that they could be used more often to develop strengths. I do a shit ton of accessories and it seems to be working. So yeah, (laughs) no, I would agree. But then everything outside of the two lifts are technically accessories. The pools and squats are accessories because we don't compete in them. No. Yeah. So like even more kind of, I know what you mean. I'm just being, I'm just, you know, (laughs) I'm being difficult. (laughs) <laughs> i'm just being difficult i'm being myself <laughs> um no but I, I i i i have to agree with you like i'm i'm inclined to agree with you because you know i use more often than not i will come at the point where i'll look at a lifter and i'll assess um and i'm not talking in terms of a technical perspective i'm talking in terms of you know if they have some kind of weakness, like if they're pressing out or whatever it might be. And I just want to give them a little bit of extra tricep work, a little bit of extra shoulder work, but I'm completely agree in the fact that they shouldn't just be used to 
identify some form of weakness they should be used just because you need to get stronger in that area generally um even if it is just like you know tricep extensions or overhead tricep extensions or split squats or cyclist squats or rdls or back extensions or something whatever it is Mm. you know there's i don't think there's especially not in weightlifting maybe maybe in in the S and C world, but I think in weightlifting, I don't think, I don't think you can really say to someone, no, no, you're strong enough in that movement. (laughs) Like, you know, because if they can get, if they, if, if you could see someone split squat 200 kilos, how much would they be able to actually squat? Bigly. By by that point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that all I'm going to do is get to split squat and I'm not trying to get their split squat up to 200 kilos, but also on the flip side, why not? If they can do it, it's going to drive single leg strength a lot. And although I don't want to take away from the lifts itself, if they can do it and they can manage it, why not? Like that, I would question if someone were to say to me, oh, but why don't you just do this? Well, they are doing that. So why don't I give them this as well? I think you know, this there's is a context to everything. Once you've done your kind of, you know, obviously there's a sort of hierarchy and like, you know, we're weightlifters, so we want to prioritize the main lifts and then everything else comes after that, like at various levels of importance. But, um, you know, once you've done, you know, let's say five sets of your main lift, like what are you going to do? 10 sets? Like, no, you're going to yeah, yeah, yeah. get more benefit from doing five sets of something else. Yeah. Then, you know, just, continually snatching continually clean and jerking for like three hours but um (laughs) (laughs) some people would argue with that but (laughs) (laughs) they can take it out with me (laughs) but um i think it's like it's it's almost taking a sort of like bodybuilding approach but you know you know it's the, the aims are completely different but like i think the methodology is similar in that like you know you get bodybuilders and like they're not interested in strength but what they are interested in is like size and you know just making sure everything's in proportion right Mm -hmm. so you know in much the same way it's like you know we might have massive legs but if our back's weak comparatively that's going to hurt us so it's like same for them if they've got massive legs but their back is weak comparatively they're going to lose points so but what you see with them is that they always do you know they're kind of like compound lifts or their main lifts but all the accessories are just as important. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of weightlifters kind of forget about. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of the same principle. It's like, yeah, you're not trying to look like a bodybuilder, but you're trying to be strong overall. Absolutely. Or, you know, having a balanced level of strength. Yeah. So, um, that's, why, yeah. that's why running like just specific strength cycles of doing things like pulls, things like presses, things like, you know, squats, it works so well with weightlifters because for, for a lot of people, we're just so used to doing the main lifts and then doing some pull or some squat, you know, whereas if you actually dedicate the focus to that specific thing, you see your numbers shoot up. Oh, I wonder why. Cause you've got stronger, mm. you know, you haven't just done the lifts. Um, and I'm talking more of a point from when someone has been lifting for say a number of years. I'm not talking for someone who's just come into the gym. But even still, like if you can get off to a good head start and you can get strong whilst getting more technically proficient, that's mm. going to go a long way in terms of your development over the, that first year or so. Because I can't tell you how many people that I've coached that either lack strength or lacks technical proficiency, 
compared to someone who has a, a fairly good degree of both. You know, you see them almost like skyrocket and it's not, it's not necessarily because they're inherently talented. It's just because they are able to find a good balance between the two, yeah. you know, rather than just being really, really strong with no technical proficiency <laughs> or technical proficiency with no strength. Um, you know, it's, it's, they, they're lucky enough to have a fairly average degree to start off with. So they're not lending themselves to the amount of like beastly, like natural strength that they have, but they're also not, you know, they're not also able to just pick it up like that. They have to work at it and it, and it works well. Yeah. So um, I had a question before you asked that actually, and I think it was kind of on this point, but I've completely forgotten what it was about. So if you, this, so this is hypothetical again, obviously, and to give you a constraint, if you were to choose one type of accessory to benefit weightlifting, and I'm not talking squats and pulls because we've already discussed them. I'm talking things outside of that scope. So let's say like presses or rows or, um, you know, single leg work or single arm work or back work. Like if you could choose one thing, one accessory type what would it be yeah so by type do we mean like body group or well like, like arms or like shoulders or like uh, <laughs> just lap pull down that's, that's what <laughs> I want to do. um god that is a good question i think mm. <laughs> it's actually painful i think for myself um, because my legs are pretty strong, but I'm trying to work on my upper body strength. I would personally focus on like presses. Mm -hmm. Um, so overhead press, bench press, all kinds of presses. Um, I think like the importance of a strong upper body is quite underrated in weightlifting. Um, but again, like that's sort of mainly that's from a more like kind of personal side. I think more generally for people, um, Mm. <laughs> it's either going to be back or legs you reckon um, i reckon yeah i think you can get a lot of, like you know if i take legs for example i think you can get a lot of utility you know you've, you've done all your main stuff you've done your back squats you've done your front squats you've done your snatch balances whatever so what else can you do well you know there's leg press there's leg extensions split squats bulgarian split squats cyclist squats like these yeah. are all going to build stupid leg strength yeah yeah and, um, you know, and obviously like, you know, leg strength is apparently quite good in this sport. Um, on the other hand, back strength is also pretty good. Um, yeah. they're more like kind of like back and core. So I think core exercises on their own are useful at the end of, you know, at the end of training and that kind of thing. But the bulk of your core work is just going to come from like pulls and squats, like without a doubt. Like, yeah. Because it doesn't matter how many planks you do, if you don't learn how to keep the back tight in that position, yeah. it doesn't matter how many planks you do, it's never going to help. It's true. And I th it's just like bang for your buck as well. It's like, you know, I, th I feel you use your core a lot more doing like heavy pulls or heavy squats than you do just, you know, doing a set of 20 crunches, you know? Mm. I, to be honest, I kind of want to flip it on its head as well. And I think one of the reasons why you might specifically do core work, like you alluded to was it's, 
specifically to target an area of weakness and that's why you won't see a lot of weightlifters do like hundreds of sit-ups hundreds of this that you know they're doing things like rack holds or even like a good morning or a plank or uh, some kind of carry or side bends or side plank or something that's like i hate to use the word more functional but it's going to lend itself a little bit better to staying in a position where you are over the bar or where you have a heavy load over your head. Yeah. Um, so it's not just like getting that six pack to look good at the beach. It's like, you know, it's all the other musculature within the core that we're kind of more interested in. It's yeah. just, it's maintaining tension, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's create, it's, it's, it's allowing you to have tension everywhere else. Cause if you're like this, where you just sag through the midsection, it's going to make everything 10 times harder. Cause you're almost like leaking energy. You're leaking, Alex, you're leaking. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> just shout to someone you're leaking. Um, no, I wouldn't shout that, but I, 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 I'm inclined to agree and say that I think back and legs would probably be the area that I would look to target the most. Yeah. I'd say from a personal perspective, back would be more important for myself. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that my legs are super strong. I'm just saying <laughs> like, I, my back is definitely weak. <laughs> we'll pause for you. Yeah. Just any kind of back, any kind of back work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Have we got any more? We have We've got time for one more. Yeah. Um, just going through. Just having a look. Uh, this is one from you again from last week. Oh. Um, <laughs> how do you select your weights for competition? Did we not go through that last week? No, we didn't, did we? No. How do you select? What? Trying to, I think we talked about competition weight, as in what weight class you should be in, but not how you actually select weights, like or attempts, rather. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Hmm. Okay. Um, oh, good question. Open on 101% and then PB every attempt. <laughs> i would usually say so to start off with i would say for a very successful competition where you didn't push yourself or you were very lucky i.e you pb'd you go six for six i'd say for most people going four for six is something to i don't want to necessarily say aim for but it's something where you started heavy enough that you were able to attempt APB on your last attempts unless unless you just like messed up your first attempts or whatever but you know I'm speaking like hypothetically here mm-hmm. yeah what were you gonna say no in you know again just to kind of reiterate you know reaffirm what you said um in my head for most competitions it's like I want to go between four for six and six for six yeah because four for six is like my kind of like minimum like yeah. that means that I hit my first attempt, I hit my second attempt, and then the third one was probably a PB. So yeah. if we did it, great. If we didn't, it's try okay. next time. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, I guess uh, I'll kind of break this down. So for the snatch, obviously the snatch is, is a more technical lift, 
and obviously it's a lot longer as a movement pattern so there's a lot more risk inherent risk involved so assuming that is that there is more risk um even if you are a snatch specialist like myself <laughs> i'm def- definitely more well versed in a snatch than i am in a clean let's be honest uh, but I personally would tend to open my lifters at a slightly more conservative weight in the snatch, something yeah. that I know that they're comfortable executing under the added sort of anxiety of a competition. So yeah. to kind of put that in perspective, I'll usually plan for for most of our athletes that, that I would handle to open anywhere between, and this is a fairly broad range, anywhere between sort of 87 to I want to say like 93%. I know that's very specific, but it's like, I feel like that's the sort of area where you're able to know, like if you're having a good day, push it up above 90% on the first attempt. And if you don't feel that great, more often than not, you should be able to hit between 85 to 90%, even if you don't feel you know, that great, unless it has been an absolute shocker of a day. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, like I said, I'd plan to open them between 90 to 93%. Now, obviously, that said, it depends on how proficient that athlete is at snatching. If they're not that great, then you might want to play a little bit safer. Um, again, how experienced is that lifter, say, in a technical, uh, sorry, in a, in, a, in a competitive environment? You know, some I've known people who absolutely thrive in competition like yourself but then i've also known people who I, I don't know i feel like you like competition i do i do enjoy it but i think like there's definitely that element of it's not it's kind of like anticipation you know everything means a little bit more and therefore you kind of take it a tad more seriously you know if, yeah and usually when i'm heading out there like you know it's, it's just like you know I can, I can feel my heart going not that I'm like worried, but I'm like, oh shit! Yeah, I'm yeah, watching. yeah. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But like, some thrive. Yeah, you know, it definitely and, helps. And, me yeah, like, and, and other than not help. Absolutely, and like you just said, some don't like. Some don't like competition. They prefer to just hit three lifts that they know they can they can hit, which I don't want them to do. I want them to hit PB. Um, and also, again, how do they feel energy-wise? And the reason I say this is you've got to realise that the snatch is only one part of the competition and it's definitely worth reserving some energy for the clean and jerk, um, especially if you're already feeling fairly low in energy in the first place. Mm. So before I kind of move on to like the clean and jerks, because obviously I wanted to sort of split this down, I would say as a general rule of thumb for first attempts, I'd go anywhere between 87 to 93%. From that guideline, I would then look to add anywhere between two to 5% to that. So going from anywhere to 92 to 97% for the second attempt. And then for the third attempt, it would be again, maybe an extra two to 5% depending on how they felt. And that would take you anywhere between 96 to I'm really bad at maths, 101 to 102 plus. So essentially you're either hitting, you know, your absolute max or you're trying to go for a PB if you can. That's what I'd say for the snatch. Yeah, probably 
Yeah, pretty much reiterate. That. <laughs> <laughs> this is my coach. Kind of follow the same lines here. <laughs> yeah, you're just thinking, hey, that's what I do in competition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's basically the same thing. I'd say, um, you know, ju- just to kind of bounce on your point about like, you know, competition helping or not helping. Um, so for that first attempt, like I know once I got that first attempt done, I'm fine and I'm in the competition zone. Until that first com- uh, attempt happens, I'm always a bit like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, There's, you're always a lot more nervous for your first attempt in the snatch than you are for the first attempt in the clean and jerk. And so if you are the kind of person where, you know, you can kind of keep that nervousness like held down and that doesn't affect you, that's fine. If you are the kind of person that like, you know, maybe you go out there and you shoot yourself a little bit, that's fine to drop it down. Um, You know, again, that first snatch, you really want to be hitting or you want to be choosing an attempt that you can hit quite comfortably because like you know, you go out there and you miss it and suddenly you're like, oh God, you know, I've only got two more attempts and if I don't make this, I bomb out and what does my coach think? And like, you know, it's, no, just get, get your first snatch in. That's fine. Get it on the ball. Because you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. again, once you're in that zone, the rest of it comes really, really easy. Yeah. Um, so just get over that kind of like initial, like, yeah, just. Yeah. Just that worry. Get a number on the board and, um, Absolutely. You know, after a while, it's like, you know, you know, oh, I hit my opener in training like really, really frequently and it's not a number that scares me. I've got no problem with that, even if yeah. I'm a bit like jittery. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I think just know thyself. Yeah, know thyself. And the coach should hopefully know thyself as well. <laughs> the coach usually knows thyself more than you know thyself. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in terms of the clean and jerk, now, obviously, you've probably expended a fair amount of energy doing your snatches, even if uh, hopefully you didn't bomb out. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you're usually you, you will be a little bit fatigued. You know, the body's warm. Yes. But, you know, you might have had to wait for lifters. You might have had to only have five minutes between the clean and the the snatch and the clean jerk you might have had no minutes you know from experience (laughs) and i'm sure (laughs) yeah um but you know i guess hypothetically you know you might be a little bit fatigued your body's nice and warm and i'm hoping that your mind will be sort of fully entrenched into the task at hand usually the way that i would approach this is the snatch is one lift the clean and jerk is another lift And obviously you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, that's because they're two movements. But what I mean by that is they're two separate competitions. Mm. Um, You know, you might've done really well at the clean and jerk, uh, the snatch, but guess what? You, you better keep it up because (laughs) there's some big clean and jerkers out there. You know, I don't think I've seen many people win a competition from snatches unless it's at the elite level. This is true. I think just to add on to that, you know, being, you know, big clean and jerkers out there. Generally, you know, with the snatch being the more technically demanding of the two movements, um, you will see a lot of people who are very, very strong, but not very technical proficient, um, you know, kind of like come out and they'll snatch all right and that's fine. And you're like, hey, you know, I was on the last <laughs> I'm doing pretty well here. And all of a sudden you're like the first person out for clean and jerk. You're like, ah, because <laughs> everybody else, like despite you know they're just stronger 
yeah. and, uh, and that reflects in the numbers that they're picking for the clean and jerk. Yeah. Um, and so that's something to bear in mind a lot. Um, I think the further up you go, the less of it you see, but yeah. within like kind of local competitions, like, you know, I was, I think we'd always focus a lot on like, you know, technique and it's just something that I really enjoy working on. Um, but like a lot of people have like far more developed strength backgrounds and that caught me out, you know, on more than one occasion. A lot, yeah. And, um, and it was just, you know, oh yeah, that's great. You know, just finished with snatches, went two for three, three for three. I'm feeling really good. And it's just like, oh, I've got like, <laughs> I'm the first one out of cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, well, I had five minutes and now I've got two. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just to sort of add to Alex's point, obviously some people excel to the clean jerk. Some people excel at the clean jerk, um, you know, and others don't. But I think it's worth having in the back of your mind that anything can happen and it needs to be adjusted to the athlete. Just like Alex has said, you know, you might be really good at the snatch and you might be decent at the clean and jerk, but you know, if, if for example, all of your competitors are better than you, that's something that you need to factor in, in your attempt selection. You might need to potentially go slightly heavier, even if you don't feel that confident doing that, just to allow yourself to potentially have a slightly longer rest period between your first snap, your last snatch and your first clean and jerk, mm. you know, and that's, I, that comes down to tactics. And I think that can be another topic of discussion because I think that's a whole sort of ball game in itself. Um, I'll usually tend to open my lifters at a weight that I know that they can hit even when they're slightly under fatigue. So what I mean by that is usually I'd go anywhere between 88 to again, like 92%. What you've also got to realize though, is that there's a little bit less margin for error in the clean and jerk. Even if you are slightly fatigued, I would say that I, I mean, I, I think for me, there's less error for me to miss. It might not be for other people to miss in the clean jerk. Um, yeah, I'd say there's less margin for error for myself, but for other people, again, depending oh, okay. on so, Yeah, you're more likely to mess up clean and jerk than you are a snatch? No, no, I'm more likely to mess up a snatch than a clean jerk. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even though I'm more technically proficient, there's mm. a little bit less that can go wrong in a clean and jerk, uh, depending... because really the clean jerk like you've alluded to is really based although on technical proficiency there you need to be strong very strong um so that's kind of what i'm sort of getting at um although if you've had a really good day on snatches and you feel really good there's nothing saying that you couldn't open your lifters 90 plus you know, 90 to 90 plus, like if they feel really good and they, they warm up to, to 85, what, you know, maybe close to 90% before they go on that platform mm. and they feel ready. You're like, okay, like, you know, it? let's do it. Like if, if you feel good for it, let's go for it. And I guess at I that point, Sorry, go on, before I kind of carry on. Like, you know, in order to kind of know, are you, you know, is my lifter at that point or not? Um, again, you know, see how they're warming up. If they're hitting, you know, as you said, like 90% plus with like relative ease and it's just moving really, really well, then yeah, bump up their openers, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I say it's always good practice to kind of hit your opener, um, you know, once um, in the kind of warm up room before heading out. Yeah. Um, 
some people will just hit like just before their opener and then go out most generally they're kind of more seasoned and they know themselves you know a little bit more or you know their performance is a little bit flatter yeah um but i think if, if especially if you're relatively new to the sport like you know just hitting it in the back room just being like right that felt okay that felt great i just need to go out and just do exactly the same as yep. i just did 30 seconds ago well, yeah hopefully more than 30 seconds we knew what you meant don't worry <laughs> um it's not a repeat of the english don't worry yeah. um no but i i, I think you, you pointed out well as well is that um i i know some people who don't like to hit their openers before they go out on the platform but on the flip side i've also coached people a la alex cave who likes to hit their openers in the platform but again that comes down to personal preference uh sorry who likes to hit their openers in the back room before they go out on the platform um and again that comes down to personal personal preference you know just because you're the coach and that's the way that you want it to be done doesn't mean that the athlete should do that you know they might not feel comfortable and by forcing them to hit their opener just on the platform or in the back room might wreak havoc in that athlete's mind Um, and I think that's not necessarily something that you need to try in a competition setting I think that's something that might need to be done say at like a benchmark or a local competition something that can be there's a lot less inherent risk involved so if they do cock up a little bit you're just like oh well didn't mean anything anyway did it um you know and that's not to say that people that go to local competitions you know it doesn't mean anything all I'm saying is that I'm talking at the perspective of like say an international or a national level lifter who to them a local level is sort of a qualifier you know um it's still just as stressful don't get me wrong but it's it's a little bit different in terms of their mindset or at least their approach to that local competition whereas we might be crapping ourselves they're like oh well it's okay because this is just a tester you know whereas others if they are qualifying they might just be like oh god i'm really nervous blah 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 anyway yes it's just it's so dependent on you know again it's all relative absolutely Uh, at the end of the day whether it's the olympics or you know a tiny competition down at your local club it's um you know we all die it doesn't mean anything so absolutely (laughs) no it's like so it doesn't really matter whether you're really really worried for a little competition or not it's um you know again it is what it is yeah so going through weight selection just to sort of bring it back to i guess the Mm. uh, uh, so that you can have a bit of takeaway very similar to, to the snatch uh usually the sort of guideline that i would use would be first attempts anywhere between 88 to 94 percent i know that's a big range but it depends how you feel on the day i would say there's very little use in opening up below 85 percent even you know 88 percent less because unless you really really don't feel like it or for example you're only there to qualify that's fine you know yeah. you you don't have to hit you don't have to always go to max in competitions and, and quite often you don't see people do that unless obviously it's olympics it's world champs it's europeans you know things that that matter to that lifter in on an individual case basis <laughs> Second attempts then, based on how they went, I would usually go anywhere between 4 to 8%. I think generally for the clean and jerk, you can take larger jumps. 
than you can in the snatch. I feel like, yeah, because if you're having a really good day, like you can kind of use that extra fire to really, you know, yeah. slam those last two attempts. Yeah. You know? So it's, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why I'd go anywhere between four and 8% is generally for most people, it, four to eight percent will be anywhere between five to ten kilos per lift ish you know based obviously if you've got like a 40 kilo cleaner jerk it's not going to be 10 kilos but it's relative right if you go to 40 kilos you could probably afford to jump eight percent because eight percent of 40 kilos is not eight percent of 400 for example right um so that takes you to anywhere between 93 to 98%. Um, and then based on that, again, I would go for an, another 4 to 8% jump. And that would kind of lend itself to, quick maths, 97 to about 102, basically a PB, 102, 103% usually. So I would take only between four to eight percent jumps, depending on the lifter, depending on how it went, depending on how they feel, depending on the 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 result. If if you need eight percent to win, and your lifter is wants to do that, then by all means do it. If they don't feel up for it and they're happy to take second best, four percent it is. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I think um on the kind of topic once you've you have basically two changes so you get your automatic increase which is going to be a kilo above your previous one you have two changes so you could bump that up by another kilo and then you could bump it up by three for example um, but you can use those two changes to you know basically jockey with other lifters absolutely and um again this is probably worth its own kind of video its own kind of discussion more like on competition tactics and that kind of thing yeah but like you know, sometimes it can be the case that, you know, if you have the potential to medal or to, you know, bump yourself up one and, um, oh, okay, they're opening at the lift that I was going to open at. Okay, well, not open. Um, let's say for third attempt, right? They go, you were planning on going for 100, they go for 100 and they hit it. And you're like, well, if I get that, I'm going to come second. But if I do 101, I'm going to come first. Yeah. So, like, you can use that change in order to you know bump yourself up and absolutely it's one kilo like who cares so <laughs> <laughs> at least that's the kind of mentality sometimes on one kilo makes all the difference but like <laughs> you know but by and large uh, i think that's something to bear in mind is as a lifter you shouldn't really be worrying about the scoreboard that much it should mainly be your coach's sort of responsibility yeah. like you're you should only be focused like nobody else should exist you are just yeah. you're just a you coach machine. They give yeah. you a bar and you produce lifts. That's Absolutely. all you do. Yeah. So, you know, everything else is kind of handled by your coach or, you know, if you have more than one coach with you at that time, you know, that's their job. Yeah. Um, it's obviously, it's good to kind of know what's going on in the competition, but again, you know, <laughs> just make the lifts. Don't think, don't overthink it. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so, you know, that, but that's again something that's probably a little bit more again des deserves its own kind of discussion but it's something that you know can happen like sometimes you know you, you've got a beautiful plan and it's all going well and then your coach comes up to you and they're like do you want to put another two kilos on and we get <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um 
Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything else to add to that. I think I'd say on the tactical point of view, um, again, everyone has their own tactics and I don't want to share too much, mainly just because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's our own personal approach. I'm happy to share some of the things that you might usually see, like you said, you know, jockeying other lifters or counting down the clock or you know whatever it might be you know there's there's a lot of sly different ways to waste the clock and and do that sort of stuff which people say is like oh that's not sportsman like but you know let's be honest it's sport so i'll burn my clock and i'll burn your house (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh so i think on that we'll probably (laughs) cap it there before before we get any uh any death threats <laughs> um yeah so uh thanks guys for tuning in uh alex we yes we're back next week for yeah, some reason i thought we weren't but we are back next week unless, uh, unless yeah unless <laughs> alex has actually burnt someone's house down <laughs> anyway uh thanks guys for tuning in and we shall catch you on the next episode catch you then